Welcome to Families for Life with Brian and Brian, a podcast of Oak Hill Baptist Church. On today's episode, we're talking about doing things God's way, repentance. All right, well, we are back, everyone. Uh, it's good to be back, Brian. How are you? Welcome. Good. Doing all right. Good. How are you? I'm doing great. We uh, we had our, our pre-show uh, talk session. and prep, you know, so no, it's good. <laughs> you know, we're talking our friendship series. If you haven't checked out your that series, mm-hmm. I would encourage you to go over and check that out. Uh, we've done four, I don't know when this will come out, four, five, six episodes, who knows. But, um, you know... It, a good friend is is something that you need. A good brother in Christ, or if you're a woman, a sister in Christ, because you can't do life on your own, and you shouldn't try. Yeah, you need people that will sharp. Iron sharpens iron is yeah. the example of of my life right now, and mm-hmm. I appreciate the other men in my life that are helping to sharpen me. So yeah, same same man, and I I know. If we don't have edification, if we don't have encouragement, if we don't have a Barnabas in our lives, yeah. then our lives are definitely missing out. Yep. So check so. out that friendship series. But mm-hmm. today we're talking about doing things God's way. This is our series. <laughs> I'm just laughing. I'm sorry. I'm laughing because we're, we're, we're talking about this wonderful topic. This just, you know, brings me so much joy. Yeah. This is the series where we tackle a topic from God's word. So we seek to discover what is God's way on this topic. And mm-hmm. oftentimes, God's way is not our way. No. Right? The way we want to do something, but it's it's what's needed. So we're reminding people what God what has God, said on right. this topic. Mm-hmm. And the topic for this time is repentance. Repentance. So yes. this is something that I think, you know, God has the right way, the only way. Yeah. And then we have a very, very, very wrong way of wanting to yeah. do things, right? Yeah. Why do you think repentance is something we need to talk about? Because we just don't want to do it, you know? We, or we, we do it poorly. Or when we do, yeah, we do it totally wrong or for self-seeking, uh, in self-seeking ways. Yeah. Um, even when we, you know, say we're doing what God wants us to do, we, we don't do it yeah. really the way he wants us to do That's it. That's right. So yeah, why well, do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I just I just think we don't know what it means biblically mm. and yeah. we struggle with this because these are one of the this is one of those words you hear at church repent yes. repent repent and we don't know what repentance means and so we 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 just we literally don't study the scriptures to understand it and then we just kind of do this like cultural Christian version of repentance. Yeah. Or like, we don't know what it looks like. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we say, Oh, repentance means turn, you know, it's like, okay, what does that look like? Right. And so, yeah. Is it just the moment where you are overcome with emotion or you go down front at church and you pray at the altar? Is that repentance? Right. Right. Or is there more? Right. So, so we're going to find out what God has to say about this. So let's talk about the definition. Okay. Uh, it's, it's often misunderstood, you know, like a, like a bad definition would be like, I'm sorry for my sin. <laughs> Yeah, it's like you a know, toddler. Like I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. not it. Say you're sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would there be another bad definition? I think honestly, I think no. I think that's what it all. Maybe this is oversimplification. I think that's usually what uh, wrong repentance mm-hmm. always comes down to. Yeah, it's that. It's that like which, having to say you're sorry, but you're not. Which is part of it. Grudem says repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of it a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience 
to Christ. Mm, yeah. So he's saying there's an intellectual understanding mm-hmm. of sin that I've wronged. I know that I've wronged. There's an emotional impro- approval of, te- of the teaching of Scripture, yeah. which results in sorrow. Okay, so the emotions are not bad. That's a part of it. But then here's the part that people mm-hmm. miss out on, mm-hmm. a personal decision to turn from it. There's action involved with repentance. Yeah, sincere, like uh, you, you are really trying, you know, and I think that is an important thing because ultimately— we can't even do this perfectly. Like even in our right. repentance, we need the grace of God. But if you have zero effort, then all of the emotion, all of the agreeing with what Scripture has to say, is all just is all just head. It's a scent. It, it's not really what you want. Yeah. And so that's your affections, right? Right. That's your desires. Yeah. It, Grudem also says genuine repentance will result in a changed life. Mm. So that's the part that we miss out on because repentance. There, there must be something that's changing in our lives. Now, it doesn't mean that you won't struggle with the same sin. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that that sin, you can't repent of it multiple times, but it does mean that there is a conviction that is going to result in some sort of action. He also says repentance is something that happens in the heart and involves the whole person in a decision to turn from sin. Right. And it's 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 really important to understand like this is not a legalistic understanding of repentance. It's not oh, I messed up, I'm sorry, I will literally never do that again and then you never do it again. That's not what repentance is. Not perfectionism. It's not perfectionism. Mm-hmm. It is it is a sincere heart change. Mm-hmm that results in action change. Right. Might be imperfect action change, but it's still change. Yeah. Now, in the Gospels, repentance is closely associated with our conversion, right? That moment in time where we repent from our sin, the sin nature, and we turn to Jesus. We become a believer in that that moment. Mm -hmm. But there's also this concept that repentance is an ongoing part of life, mm-hmm. right? We live this daily struggle with sin, you know, as Martin Luther put it, sinner and saint in one person. And so we have to practice daily repentance. That's right. And, and that's what's great about the gospel and something that Christians need to remember is that the gospel is not just for you at the beginning. It is your way of life. Mm-hmm. And so it's like it's like if you are trying to uh, get healthy, you don't just start working out and then and then once you've worked out for a little while, you stop. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that becomes a norm of your life. Right. And that's what repentance is. We're, we're constantly repenting, turning away from those old, dead, sinful desires right. to Christ. Yeah, so practically it may look like there's a conviction and a sorrow. There may be prayer involved. Oftentimes there is a crying out to God, and then it's there's a life change. There's things that change in your life. So do you think people practice genuine repentance? So that is a, a good question, and I'm interested to see exactly what you're thinking behind it, because... The answer for me is yes and no. Mm. I think there are people. I I think, I think that people who do practice genuine repentance might also struggle with non-genuine repentance, depending on what sin it is. That's good. But I think there are people who do not uh, have genuine repentance in their lives, and I think you know a lot of people who have have felt like they love the Lord or or wanted to be a part of the church or something, but then end up leaving. You know, there's that that's that worldly sorrow that the scriptures talk about. Yeah. Rather than I, I think it's I think it's part of the reason we don't practice genuine repentance is we just don't know how we don't know what it looks like and we yeah. fall into this trap. It's kind of like for want of a compass. 
we were lost. Mm, you know what yeah. I'm saying? And mm -hmm. so we just, we have to go back to God's word and, and get that direction into what, what it's going to look like. What does a changed life look like? Uh, that's a good point. I think too, part of this is we're about to talk about false repentance. Yeah. And, and the thing about this is if you don't know what true repentance looks like, then, then you don't have the freedom that it gives you. Yeah. You know, true repentance actually frees you from sin and uh, false repentance actually is more like a, a kind of a, an entangling in sin. That's good. It's really sinister. Well, it, this book that I've used is called uh, Killing Sin Habits by Stuart Scott. By the way, Stuart Scott's stuff is fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. He's got, and his books are never that big, mm -hmm. which I always appreciate from an author. <laughs> mm -hmm. like, it's like 100 pages or less, you know? So this is a great book, and I think every Christian should read this, especially if you're struggling with like a besetting sin. Yeah. I think it's mainly geared toward lust. Um, and so guys would especially, but, right. but I think it will help with any besetting sin because he deals with what we call the temptation cycle. And so he's got this kind of like a clock it, it, and I've got the diagram here and I can even maybe post that. I don't know if there'll be a copyright thing, but what happens is you, you face temptation. Then there's a, a struggle. He put feeble struggle. You know, we, mm -hmm. we struggle against like, the temptation. Oh, man, I'll try. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Then there's that rationalization that happens to, to that temptation. Then you, Surrender. There's that unholy surrender or a hopelessness like, mm -hmm. oh, well, you know, you just give in to the temptation. Yeah. Then the sin is accomplished. And and for the Christian, we do feel guilt. Yes, real guilt. Real mm -hmm. guilt. Then there's a momentary guilty uh, pleasure or relief, mm -hmm. right, from that sin. Then you might feel sorrow and shame. You might genuinely say, God, I am so sorry. I cannot believe I did this again. I, you know, and we, we, oftentimes will stop at that point mm -hmm. and, and say, I've confessed to God and now I'm done. Mm -hmm. Or we delay confession to God. Yeah. You know, we may feel shame and like, oh, I can't even, I can't even go to, to God. God. I can't even talk to God about mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So then on the clock there, it's sorrow and shame. Confession to God is delayed. Then there's a confession. Mm -hmm. But that usually ends it for people because right. the next point is Christ is not put on. Right. And the provisions for that temptation remain. Right. So there's no fleeing of the temptation. Right. 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 Then you face isolation and outside, no outside help is sought. There's no yep. life change. That just sets you right back up at the top. So the cycle goes back to after time passes, it's the perfect setup yep. for that temptation to happen again. And I've seen this in my own life, and I know many Christians that struggle with this, Absolutely. where you you face temptation over and over and over again because there's no life change. Well, it's what we do. Is it's the same thing. You know, what do they say? The definition of insanity is is doing the same things and, and expecting different results. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what we see here is, is, you know, like we just keep going through it and then and then we don't make the change where we don't put on Christ, we don't don't seek outside help, uh, and then you're just literally right back where you were before. And so you're almost guaranteeing yourself to fall to that temptation again. Here's my here's the dirty little secret. We actually, I believe many people don't actually want change. We like our sin. <laughs> we like our sin, and we've kind of come to grips with it, right? We keep it as a pet, and and we keep it around for for momentary enjoyment. Isn't okay? that isn't that what James says? Right? You know, you, you, nobody is is tempted. You're you're tempted by. He says you're tempted by your own lusts. Mm -hmm. It's our own desires that do this, and so we have to. You know, one of the big things to just like you said that was so good. We have to just own that. 
You know, just be like, you know what? This is my fault. Well, and here's the reality. I like the pet analogy because we think it's just a little pet that we can manage, but it's mm. actually a lion that will strike at any moment, okay? In reality, we think we can manage our sin. Yeah. We think we can contain it, but it will ultimately destroy us. Have you ever seen the stories mm-hmm. of people keeping wild animals? Oh, yeah. Lions, tigers, People like alligators, sleeping with their baby snakes, and as the snake grows older and older. Wraps around them mm-hmm. and kills them. Yep. Well, recently I heard about a man. He raised a hippo from birth. Yep. The hippo eventually killed him. Yeah. Because hippos are violent. Vi- they they're, are they're the most so violent dangerous. creature, I believe, out there. And. Even though you raised this hippo and he knew you and saw you every day and you hand fed him, at some point he's a wild animal and he will turn on you. This is the same thing with our sin. If we keep our sin as a pet, eventually it will turn and destroy us. And it's not, it's not a, that's a good analogy too, because it's not a small pet. You know, if, if a tiny little, you know, gerbil. Well, it may start out small, but know, then it grows like right, a hippo. Right. And we have to remember that they grow because they're, they're not going to stay the size. They're not going to stay, stay teeny tiny. They're going to, they're going to grow. And so if it's this teeny tiny thing, oh, I can handle that. That's the deception. No, it's not teeny tiny. It's gigantic. And once it turns, it's over game over. So we have to take it seriously from the get go. So what's the answer? Stop. <laughs> stop it. Just stop stop it. it. No, no, that's that's not it. The right? answer is this concept that we get from the Puritans, especially John Owen was really great at helping us to understand this. The the Puritans were very big on the concepts of mortification and vivification. Yeah. And we'll talk about Some what big that words, means. But you'll get it. Right. These are those five dollar words. <laughs> But we need both of these things, and we can't teach just one. That's okay. So just the stopping it—that is kind of like that's the, the mortification. mortification. Killing sin is right. the is simple definition, right? And so that's why. But it's not only that, and that's why we joke when we say stop it. That's a part of it, mm-hmm. but there's more to it. There is there is do something else, right? We can't just kill sin and not replace it with something, we must replace it with new life in Christ. That's vivification. And this this is like if you want to change a bad habit in your life, yeah. you can't just say, I need to stop doing this. You need to replace that that bad habit. For instance, you say, I want to eat better. Right. You can't just say, well, I want to I, I don't want to eat junk food. You have to say, I need to eat healthy food. Yes. yes. You know what I'm saying? And you have to replace the bad food with something good. So one of the things uh, with students, whenever I'm trying to teach them the concept of repentance, I always ask them, what's repentance? And they always say, it's turning from sin. And I'm like, yes and no. Because repentance is not just turning from sin because there's other sins that you can turn to. Mm-hmm. It's turning from that sin. What if you just turn from that sin to a different sin? Right. It's turning from something to Christ. Mm-hmm. Christian repentance is it always involves turning to Jesus. So we're going to talk about the vivification part, but what let's talk about mortification, yeah, let's, turning away from yeah, sin. Yeah, let's talk about killing sin. So so that's the simple definition, putting to death the flesh that has reigned so long in our lives. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I want to reassure <laughs> listeners, we're not necessarily talking about the security of our faith, right? right? If we're saved, we're saved by the grace of God. Nothing can pluck us from God's hand. But with that said, this is not a license to, to sin, sin. Okay, That's right. just because we're saved, we can't just go out and just sin yeah. and live it for, up and do whatever. First we want. John one and two make really help. If you're struggling with this, uh, first thing, go to the scriptures. First right. John one and two, go read that. But that's these are the concepts we're talking. Yeah, about. Yeah. So mortification finds its roots in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, "If your if your hand offends you, cut it off. If mm-hmm. your eye offends you, pluck it out." 
Why yeah. do you think Jesus would say something so harsh? So Jesus, who is God's son, is is holy, right? Perfectly holy. Um, God, God hates sin. Mm-hmm. I mean, sin is like nothing. Nothing. It's bad. He he can't. So there's this real visceral hatred of sin, and so Jesus wants us to realize how he really feels about this and how serious it is. So, you know, we can talk about this as kind of a um, exaggeratory language, you know, maybe hyperbolic language that Jesus is using. But Jesus is making the point, this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. So he's using this this intense language to help us realize, like, this is super serious to God, and it's super bad for us. Right. Well, and this is some of what he said to, like, the rich young ruler. You need. To, it's like Jesus is saying, take your sin seriously. Turn away from your sin so serious that it's better to lose a limb than to keep your limb, continue to sin, and, and walk in lostness. Um, R.C. Sproul writes in his book, Holiness, he's talking about when the, um, when the tabernacle falls off the cart, and um, is it... Uh, Oh yeah, when they're moving, uh, I'm trying to remember no, his no, name. No, no, they're moving the Ark of the Covenant. Of the car- Covenant, not yeah. Tabernacle. The Ark of the Covenant. They're moving it, and it's on a cart. They're doing it the wrong way. It falls, and uh, the guy, I'm blanking on his name right now, he tries remember. to catch it, and he dies instantly. Mm-hmm. And R.C. Sproul says God would rather have his his the Ark of the Covenant in the dirt than stained by sin. Mm. And so God, you know, so so we have to think about how bad sin really is. I mean, we got to see it clearly. Yeah, sin is, is such a big deal. God, if we read the, the the Old Testament, part of the reason the Old Testament is there is to show our depravity and how serious God takes sin. There was sin that went on, and God literally opened up the earth and swallowed people. Yeah. Yeah. Because the sin was was so offensive. Now God is still that way. He still finds sin so offensive. In this season, he has chosen to give much grace, much more grace than we would ever deserve. Even just the fact, I'm not talking about the grace of Jesus. That's the gospel that we need. Right. I'm talking about the grace to continue to live. Yep. Yep. And not just smite us because of our sin. Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God. That's actually the point of that sermon is Mm -hmm. God doesn't smite sinners. He actually gives so much grace to us so that we can have life and ultimately come to know him. So there's the so Romans 6 is so helpful and in fact half of Romans 6 talks about mortification the other half talks about vivification. So I just want to read this. I'll read the first half and then we get to the vivification you can read the second half here but it says what shall we say then? Are to are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Okay, it's a lot of death theme here. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe 
that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he has died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives for, to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Yeah. So this is the concept of mortification. We have the gospel has put to death sin in our lives, so we should not let sin continue to reign. We are charged with fighting against sin, continuing to fight against it, continuing to put it to death because of what Jesus did on the uh, in on the, the gospel yeah, on the he, cross. He, and that's the thing. Like, think about the death he died. I mean, that's that is proof. That's a picture proof of the fact that God is going to deal. He deals with sin, and then and then death. Our sins were brutally murdered on the cross, you know? So it's it's this, like, very intense, very serious dealing with this. And so we have to take this more seriously. Right. There's so much in here, and and th- th- we, we could stick on this forever, but there's one thing I want to point out. He talks as if sin is something we are choosing to do. Mm-hmm. Not something, like at, for the Christian, not something that we have to to do. Right. Can we get this? Can That's, we just understand yes. this here? Because what he says here is he says, consider yourselves dead to sin. He says, let not therefore sin reign in your mortal body as if it's a choice to, to refuse to obey its passion. So what that's telling me is there is a way in the gospel, in Christ Jesus to put my sin to death daily. Mm-hmm. Once again, not saying, not preaching perfectionism, but what I'm preaching is the fight against sin should be real, and it's and there's an option for us not to submit to temptation. Yeah, you you do not have, you do not have to let sin. You do not have to sin. Like that's that's the thing. Like as a Christian, you don't have to do it. You don't have to give in to the temptation. Right. And that is something that is so simple, but so profound when you wrap your mind around it. And so. Some of the problems with this, though, is I think sometimes people think of this uh, putting sin to death as as being something other than what the Bible actually talks right. about. So mm-hmm. there's a few things that that people might think, and we don't want them to think this way. So well, the there's first, extremes with everything. Yeah, exactly, right? extremes mm-hmm. and whatnot. So the first one is this idea of like asceticism, this denial of any pleasure or embracing, you know, and, and embracing pain as if yeah, mortif- you should only feel. pain pain that's not the gospel yeah mortification that's not the bible. is not the idea that we should it's not this asceticism yeah that we should just like not have any pleasure in life at all because right. not all pleasure is, is sinful sin. that's right in fact most of the time pleasure sin is when you seek pleasure in the wrong places right that's what sin is so it's not asceticism it's not pietism it's not a personal feeling or experience over facts or doctrine you know when we when we put our own sort of rules and standards on what you know over what the bible says yeah it's not quietism theology this this you know let go and let god like basically it's like well i'm just gonna stop you know dealing with anything however god yeah. yeah whatever god brings my way is how you know it's like 
it's this theology that's so damaging to where like, well, I, I, I guess God allowed me to sin. So I guess I'm going to sin. Right. Like, you're right. What? You just let go. Like that's, and there is an aspect to behind, there's like, you know, stop striving, be still and know that God is God. Yes. But, but it's not that's just a, like stop trying to obey him. Well, that's a war cry to stop trying to do things in our own power exactly. and let God work. That's exactly right. So then the last one is legalism. Mortification is not legalism. This is not personal works or uh, a restraint for the right stand, right standing with God to maintain his love. It's not striving right. to maintain like your standing with God. Like yes. You're you're righteous with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. Right. It was your salvation was never about about like your personal sin. It was about Jesus getting rid of the sin nature right. in you. God doesn't love you more when you overcome more temptations than the next guy, right? He's right. not like, wow, I love this guy more than, you know, because he didn't say that bad word or something. That's, you know, he, it's he's always already helping. proved his love for all of us. Right. We have all of the love and grace available to us that was there on the first day we were saved. That's right. I mean, the first moment God created us. That's right. The same love and grace has always been available. So this is us. There's no more, no less. This is us loving God back. Yes. That's what it is. It's he first loved us and now we love him back. And here's, this is how we do it. One of the ways. So this is, uh, this is how we can know that sin is, is really, or how can I should, should say the question is how can we know that sin really is mortified or not? How can we know that we've actually killed sin. Okay. Here's a couple of factors here. Distinguishing factor. This is from the book, Killing Sin. Distinguishing factors that sin is not really mortified. Okay. Number one, there is not much distance between you and your sin. Mm. Number two, very little prayer is prayed against it. Mm. Yeah. Number three, you commit the sin again with very little temptation. It doesn't take much. (laughs) Yeah. Number four, you take more care in keeping it secret than you do in seeking help. Okay, so which of these do you find people struggle with the most? Uh, yeah, all of the above, right? You know, uh, <laughs> no, they're they're all very very hard. I think the the one the the two really is the one the temptation like when you just you just don't it doesn't take any temptation mm-hmm. at all for you to fall. But most of the time, number 4, if you take care to find help more, like if you would just stop trying to hide it, and get help. Yeah, that's the thing that's going to fix it all. Well, and I think yeah, and I think that last one would help you uh, with all of the other ones because yep. you're you're getting accountability. You're you're somebody's praying with you. They're helping you put distance between you and your sin. So I would agree. We sin is going to want to be kept secret in mm-hmm. the dark because it can it can get you if you're by yourself. Right, but God exists in the light. Yeah, and so if we expose our sin to the light of the gospel. It has no, it, it, it will, it will die. Yep. It will die. Mm-hmm. But to do that, we must make it known. Now, I don't mean like publicly known, but yes, I mean right. known to a, another brother to find help in that. Yeah. I've heard stories of people like standing up in congregations and confessing their sins. And it's like, yeah, we're not no, asking no, 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 no. people to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. There's but wisdom. If, <laughs> but if you keep your sin to yourself, you keep it secret, then it will it will continue to thrive and it will eventually destroy you. But there are some ways to to know if you are actually killing your sin, yes. right? So mm-hmm. there's distinguishing factors that sin is mortified. One, you contemplate God's perfections. You think about the perfection. It's all of about God. God's glory and about you, you. You're taking your focus off of yourself and you're putting it on, on God. That's right. You react. Number two, you react strongly toward the first stirring of sin. You take action when you feel it. 
Three, you are seeking to live daily dependent on the strength of Christ. You, you, are, you are finding your strength in Christ, not in your own efforts. Four, you hate all sin, not just the one you're dealing with, but sin is all terrible in your eyes. And five, your goal is all about Christ, not yourself. It's Again, it's about you loving God back. It's not about you being a better person. This is not self-help therapy. This is us loving God. So what of these, Brian, do you find more helpful? Well, I think it first starts, it has to start with your your mindset. Mm. And I think a lot of times with we're struggling with killing sin, it's because we have a self-focused mindset. And I think if we have a Christ-focused or a God-focused mindset where we're putting our focus on the Lord and finding strength in Him rather than rather than we're focused so much on ourselves and how because we're going to we're going to be failures yeah. you know what i'm saying yeah. like if i if it's up to me i'm going to fail every time right. but i focus on god and what god can do through my life and that's where you find real life change yeah yeah i think that kind of goes back to god does not desire you know these sacrifices he desires a, a broken and contrite heart right yeah. and i think that's that mindset of of, of thinking of god first yeah. so well, we talked about killing sin, and and I hope that this helps people as they're thinking through the things in their life that they struggle with. How do I how do I eliminate this, and how would I think about Christ instead? But then that's that's the question, right? Vivification. Yes. It's, how do we live that new life in yes. Christ? Yeah. So when you get rid of something, like we said, that void must be filled. You cannot leave it blank. So we are removing sin from our lives. We must replace it with living life in Christ. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's. That's what we call vivification. You, you see this with all sorts of things. You see, you know, I've seen people who are addicted to drugs mm-hmm. and now, you know, they get off of that and they kind of replace it with things like working out or something that's more healthy. And so mm-hmm. this is just a principle of life. But but that's not that's not the ultimate. The ultimate is finding true, abundant, everlasting life in right. Christ. Mm-hmm. So this is the kind of like the biggest way that you can replace those unhealthy things, right? Yeah, I love the rest of Romans 6 because it it talks about this. So do you want to read that for us? Sure, yeah. So it says, verse 15, what then are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, those passages right there are so good because the point he's making is that whatever, whatever overcomes you, I love that, whatever overcomes you, 
that is your master. Right. And so when the love of God overcomes you and sets you free from sin, right. you're not you're not a slave to this this destructive sin anymore. You're now a, a slave, you know, he's speaking metaphorically, you're a slave to the God who loved you and set you free. And now you are a slave to love. Like yeah. nobody thinks of that as a bad thing. Right? right. We confuse like what we talk about freedom in Christ and it's like, well, I'm free. I'm free to do whatever I want. Actually, you're not right. You're free from sin because mm -hmm. we were enslaved to sin, whether we knew it or not, we were enslaved to sin, which ended in death. Mm -hmm. Now, as we become believers, this new life in Christ, we become servants or slaves of God. Right. And we live out that life in our in our lives. So many Christians miss this because they think, "Oh, I'm saved. I get to do whatever I want, as long as it it as long as I obey the moral code of the Bible." No, it's God. We live mm -hmm. a God directed, God informed, gospel centered life for the rest of our days. Right, and that's the thing. So to kind of flip it a little bit is, I'm saved, so now I get to do whatever I want. So in one sense, no. But in another sense, yes. Because now in Christ, what you want are these new desires. Yes. This, what I want is God. And so that's why we have to keep killing, you know, one day in when we are glorified in perfection, like we won't have to fight this battle anymore because it will be completely gone. We're, we're, we're the walking dead, right? We're, we are saved. We are both, as, as Martin Luther said, we are alive in Christ but we still got this old dead sin sinful flesh. Mm -hmm. That's why we still have to put it down in the grave. One day there won't be any of that and it will only be living these only having the desires to love God. Right. It takes making Christ the priority in our lives. We need to care more about what he thinks and wants than anything else. And yeah. I think that's where people miss out because it's like my my desires, my happiness, my this, my that are supreme. Mm -hmm. Really, it's to live the life, the spirit-filled new life in Christ. It's what does Christ want for my That's life? That's right. That's right. It's my my desires for Jesus that are supreme. My love for Christ that is supreme because he is the one loving me. Right. So, so, so we need to start with the attitude that values Christ over all things. And then that will begin to translate into some practical applications in our life. Right. So let's talk about that. What are the practical outworkings of vivification? So the first one is that you're going to renew your mind. This means that you, you love God now because of what Christ has done in your life. And you start taking in God's word. You want to know what he thinks. You want to know what he says. And you start meditating on it. And it changes how you think. You know, that's how relationships work in general. Yeah. And it's just true of this one, too. Yeah, that's part of the, you know, part of the thing we struggle with is this this fleshly body. And we are, our minds have been corrupted by sin. And so we have to have a new way of thinking, a new way of of beginning to view the world. And, and that has to be informed by the scripture. That's what Romans 12, 2 says, renew exactly. your minds. And that's, that's the first step is claiming that, that what God's word says and letting, letting that overwhelm you mm -hmm. and, and infest you to the point to where that starts to inform how you live. That's right. What's the next one? Yeah, it says, make no provision for the flesh and abstain from fleshly lusts or fleshly desires, fleshly sins. Mm -hmm. This is where we need to make practical changes in our lives. Okay, if you know of a situation, a place, a person, a thing that tempts us, we need to flee that and make changes in our lives to avoid it. 
And you can see this in Romans 13, 14, 1 Peter 2, 11, Colossians 3, 1 through 5. These are all charges to do that exact that exact thing. Yeah, I think the practical things, you know, we've talked about these sorts of things in our other uh, episodes. You know, I think a lot... I, I, I don't think this is an assumption. I think a lot of sinful temptations in the modern world come through our phones. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's an well, easy, like, you know, how do you replace your phone? Well, right. well, you, you do, you read a book instead. Well, you can I give you scroll. old school tech yeah. alert here? Yes. So I had a, uh, when I was back in Louisville going to church there, there was a, a, a singles minister that was working there. And he would counsel men, and oftentimes men were struggling with lust and pornography. Well, he would literally—this is before cell phones. Mm-hmm. Before, well, before uh, smartphones. Smart so yeah. you could still make a call back in the dark ages. <laughs> um, but he would literally, like, go to the guy's house and raid his, like, computer. Mm-hmm. Like, take the take the computer. Mm-hmm. And he had, like, this graveyard of computers that he had confiscated. And, I mean, of course, the guy had to be, like— consenting right. of it. He wasn't stealing. But it was but, yeah. to the point he took seriously and he made his men take seriously, cut off, the pluck arm, your right. eye, cut right. off your hand. Are you willing to get rid of your computer to glorify God and get and kill the sin in your life? And you got to do something else. So go, right. go golf, go, you know. Do, so, so, <laughs> so if your smartphone is mm-hmm. a problem, mm-hmm. then you need to have some accountability software. You need to have some, some time management software. You need to have accountability of people that will help you, uh, to be able to do that. And I'm, I'm getting ahead. Sorry. No, that's fine. That's our third point. I mean, that's perfect segue. You know, we have to have accountability. He's designed us. God has designed us to need each other. And that's, you know, that's even more complicated. The more complicated and technological our lives get, the more we have to be uh, willing to open up. I mean, does anybody else know the password to your phone? Does anybody else, is anyone else able to get on those things? And do people know what you do in your private time? Is there anyone who knows that stuff? Yeah, there has, there's something about another person who is watching us or is going to ask us the tough questions or knowing you have to answer them that, that will clear your thinking when you're tempted. If, If I know someone's going to be asking me the things that I struggle with, like, Hey, did you lose your cool this week? Mm. Man, I'm going to think twice when I, when I get fired up, I'm going to get, I'm going to think twice about, Ooh, Brian's going to ask me if I lost (laughs) my cool this week. I need to, I need to really calm down. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you begin to think there's just something about accountability. People talk about accountability as weakness, but it's actually knowing your weakness. That's right. You find strength in knowing your weakness. Yep. That's exactly right. You're, you're, yeah, that's, that's so true. That's so true. Okay. So one more. The last one is to develop personal spiritual disciplines of the Christian life. Yeah. Okay. So this is actually a quote from the book. It says, there are no certain uh, means of grace that the spirit will use to make us more like Christ. These things, these things are like Bible study, meditation, corporate worship, prayer, the Lord's Supper, and the ministry to the church body and the unsaved. So Mm -hmm. these are means of grace to us that will make us more like Christ. Yeah. We need to utilize them in our lives. This this is really, I think, the big like vivification part. Here. Right, you're replacing it with something else. That's right. You you need to. You know, there are people who, for instance, think about people who are just stuck in sorrow. Maybe they lost a loved one, or something has happened. They're just stuck in sorrow. If you don't, if you don't find something meaningful 
and beneficial to do to re- to to help you through that, you'll stay there. Yeah. And so a lot of people find hobbies or things to do. Well, if you're a member of a church, that church needs things to be done. I guarantee you. So so there's plenty of meaningful, impactful, God glorifying things that you can do that you can find real meaning in, and you can replace uh, sinful habits through that. Yeah. So that's what we've got to do. Yeah. Exactly. So, it, I, you know, I asked the question, what's the most important one of these? I think all of them right. are important if we're trying to conquer sin. Um, you know, I, I think these are really important concepts that will help us. And they, they've helped me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would love to say that I'm sin-free, but that would be lying. Yeah. Uh, but I, yeah. I have uh, used these concepts and examined my life and said, okay, these things... This 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 habit or this sin this temptation must be killed and it needs to be replaced with keeping my focus on Christ living mm-hmm. for Him. Yeah, same. I'm you know sometimes it's like one thing you know sometimes I have to change my mindset and believe what the Bible says, but other times it's I need somebody else in my life and and it just kind of changes based on whatever situation and whatever season of life I find myself in. So I hope that, you know, listener, I hope that you've been uh, taking these down or maybe you will go back and, and write these down as things that you can look to see which one do I need to apply to my life right now? What would you tell someone that wants to break free from a besetting sin? Where would you tell them to start? Jesus changes people. Mm. This is vital. Jesus changes you you can change because jesus is powerful to save and if you don't believe that then you will not overcome your sin that's good and this has been the most helpful thing for me jesus changes who i am and he makes me more like himself and if i just hold on to him i will have hope to get over whatever i'm struggling through That's good. That's really good. So I'm sorry. I get that. No, that I knew exactly what no, I needed to No, I appreciate say. that passion. I love it because that's what we need to hear. Yeah. yeah. And I think repentance needs to be synonymous with life change. Yeah. You know, it it's it is involves sorrow. It does involve asking for forgiveness, but it's not just being sorry. Right. It means we're depending on Christ to forgive us, but also to help us to change. It's basically throwing yourself at Christ and saying, I am... I cannot do this. Right. Forgive me and help me. Yeah. And if we're missing out on the help part, the life change part, then we're not really repenting. Yeah. And if you stay sorry, like that's not, I had a person tell me one time, I kept apologizing for something I did and they eventually were like, you know, the more people apologize for something, the more insincere it seems. Right. And it's like, if you don't, if you don't ever stop being sorry, then you don't ever believe that you've been forgiven. Right. And I love the example of Christ because he, he would present the gospel and he would give grace. And then what would he say? Leave that sin, mm-hmm. leave that life. Yep. He told the lady, go and sin no more. Right. He Moving told the on. rich young ruler, leave behind your old life to follow me. He told Matthew, come and follow me. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus is saying, leave that stuff behind Mm -hmm. and come follow me. That's what real repentance looks like. He never said, oh, I will forgive you. Oh, that's okay. Keep living your best life. Keep trying your best. We're all doing our best. It's okay. No, he said, I will forgive you. I will give you new life. Mm -hmm. Follow me. Follow me. And I think think we miss that so many times. Can you tell listener Same. we're we're passionate about this? Well, we need it. You know, I need it. This is this is our lives. We will struggle with sin our whole lives, but that doesn't mean that we're conquered by sin. Right. I no. believe that depending on the Lord, we can kill sin and live the new life in Jesus. This is us that conquering Jesus promises. Amen. Yeah, that's right. 
Yeah. So, so, you know, we're family ministry, you know, that's, that's our heart. And so we just want to think, how can we help our, our kids as, as we wrap up here, a couple questions, how can we help our kids conquer their sin? I think one of it, one of the things is, and I think I'd probably say this for everything we talk about, but it's, it's modeling it. Mm. Um, and so you have to be careful because you're not going to just share all of your sin struggles with your kids. That's unwise. But if you never share any with them right. and never model for them what you're doing and your walk with the Lord, then they're not going to they're not going to see it mm-hmm. and they're not going to think it's real. Yeah. And so you have to do that, and you have to and you have to explain these things to them in in you know language that makes sense to them. So. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be hard, especially for for our littles, you know. But right. I think as a teenager, this concept can really help help them as they're coming and understand if they've been saved and they're understanding their faith and growing in their faith, teenagers, college students, you know, uh, young adults, it will really help them to grasp a hold of their faith because I honestly, Brian did not really grasp a hold of this concept till a little bit later in my life. And it was one of those things where it was like, Oh, well, God, God will forgive me. It's like, Oh, I messed up again. It's like, no, no, God expects, just like what he said, shall I continue in sin? By no means. Right. You know, we need to live the life in the spirit filled life of Christ where sin does not reign. Yeah. Doesn't have to reign. As parents, you can also like, you have some authority over what your kids do with their time. Right. So like you can actually practically help them by removing things that are going to be tempting um, like if they're struggling with something you and you know it, like re- remove it for yeah, them. Provide like, accountability for them, right. knowing that you need to give them grace. Don't just chastise right. them and punish them right, all the time, right. but like help them see, okay, this is wrong. This is why this is wrong. And let me help you figure out a plan to to not fall yeah. into the temptation and, and again. And don't just punish them, right? Give them something new. Give right. them something else. So you're not just like you're grounded and you can't do anything. It's, it's I'm going to remove this bad thing and we're going to do something else that you are going to love so right yeah okay so i think that's good i this you know i tell you this is something that is passionate for for me and apparently passionate for you a little bit (laughs) a little bit (laughs) no i love talking about this because it is one of the misconceptions i think christians do have and so hopefully this has helped you right to kind of put this this in in a framework that repentance is finding forgiveness in christ but also seeking life change, seeking that new life. And and when you do this God's way, like you were saying, mm-hmm. you're going to, you're not going to be conquered by sin. You will be conquering sin. Yeah. That's what we want for people. That's right. And so we hope that that, that this has helped you with that. Yep. Well, so. thank you for listening and we'll, we'll see, see you next time. time.